Good morning, this is Tyler. Welcome to the lecture for Chapter 3 of Economics 1500. The infamous supply and demand model that uh, you, will, uh, you will undoubtedly fall in love with. Students, after they've taken Economics 1500, and you ask them a couple months after the fact what they remember, it seems like one of the things they always remember is the supply and demand model. Well, quite straightforward, but uh, there are some subtleties. Uh, as you know, that uh, we rely upon the market system to allocate resources in the United States and, more, and other market economies. That's what a market economy is all about. We rely upon markets to allocate scarce resources. Markets are a way of dealing with scarcity, the, the problem of scarcity. We have unlimited wants, we have we have scarce resources and therefore scarce goods, we have to have a means of rationing or allocating goods, services, and resources. Markets are a mechanism of doing that. What markets do is markets determine prices. And prices, or the, or the price of a good, allocates it or rations it. You can think of a simple example where the local uh, Lexus dealer announces that he has or she has 50 Lexus Lexi cars in uh, in the lot and they're they're free. Well, you can imagine what would happen. Everybody would rush down to the Lexus dealer. Now the Lexus dealer could ration these cars based on first come first serve. Yeah, that's it's a that's a mechanism of allocating scarce goods. We when uh when 5000 people show up in Logan, Utah for the 50 Lex free Lexi then the car dealer could say, well, he could discriminate against women and say, no, only men can have one since there's too many, too much demand relative to the supply. Well, about half the crowd would disappear. So you have 2,500 left. Then the dealer could say, well, we could, I don't, personally, I don't like, I don't like uh, uh, tall people. So only, only short men are eligible for one of these free Lexuses. And maybe that gets the crowd down a little more. And we, and the, the dealer could continue to think of arbitrary means or ways of reducing the demand for the, the 50 Lexuses, or he could just take bids. In other words, they're not free. Ration them based on the price. Well, so you know, that's the idea. Markets set prices. Prices allocate or ration scarce goods and services and resources. Well, what Chapter 3 is all about is just how markets function in determining prices. Now, while I'm talking, I should have had you call up the slides, so go ahead and call those up for Chapter 3. And we're going to wind our way through this uh, and present the, the, the supply and demand model. And y you know, I mean, there's a lot of intuition here. Uh, for any given market, there is a demand for the good and there is a supply of the good, and this interaction of supply and demand that determines the price. And it's changes in supply and demand that cause prices to change. We live in a system where prices are always changing. We've seen a good example of that lately with the with the hurricane in uh, in the Gulf Coast upsetting oil production and causing a spike in oil and consequently gasoline prices. Uh, there was a, a supply. There was a decrease in supply which caused a price increase. Well, we want to see how that all works. If you would start with slide, eh, let me see, start with slide five. We're going to first talk about demand, then we'll talk about supply, then we'll put the two together and talk a little bit about equilibrium. Really, and, and I think this book does a, 
a, a particularly nice job of presenting all this. Some books get over, get, get carried away, and bring in all kinds of, of somewhat uh, superfluous information. But this book focuses on the uh, just the bare essentials, which I think is, is is very good. So if we go to slide five, uh, I'll let you look at the first slides. Uh, first four slides on your own, but slide five gets us into the demand side of the market. We have something called the law of demand, which just simply says that there's an inverse relationship between the price of a good and the quantity demanded. If you think of a picture of this, which we'll go to in slide six, well, first, before we start, before we slide five, we see that, uh, and we'll talk about these later, but in the, there's another slide, but what what is a... Uh, what what affects demand? The, the determinants of demand are factors other than price. So, you know, let me back up here a little bit. Uh, a lot of things affect people's demand for gasoline, right? One of them is the price of gasoline, but other for a in given individual, uh, your income, your taste concerning how much you want to drive, uh, the price of diesel expectations, a number of buyers, and we separate out price from everything else. The price of a good affects demand for that good, but there are other determinants of demand. And there's a nice little list there. This will make more sense later when we talk about the law of uh, the changes in demand versus changes in quantity demanded. But if we, when we talk about the law of demand, we're holding all those other things constant. We're just focusing on the relationship between the price of a good and the quantity demanded. And that's what we see in slide, we're going to see that in slide, skip into slide 7. This is a demand curve and a demand schedule. This, this schedule is the data on the left-hand side of slide 7. We can use that data to draw a demand curve, which shows this inverse relationship between the price per video, we're talking about the video market, on the vertical axis, and the quantity of videos demanded. Now, language here is important. When I say the law of demand, it's there's a, an inverse relationship. If you go back to slide five, there's an inverse relationship between the price of a good and the quantity consumers are willing to able to purchase. That word quantity is important, as we'll see. So what we see here in slide seven is there's an inverse relationship between the price of videos and the quantity demanded of videos, holding everything else constant or as we use the Latin term sometimes, this this graph shows the relationship between the price of videos and the quantity demanded of videos, ceteris paribus, where ceteris paribus means everything else held constant. Now note, remember, there are other things that can affect the demand for videos. We're holding everything else constant, like income and the price of, of, uh, of uh, going to the movies, uh, number of consumers, all that's held constant. We're just focusing on the price of videos and the corresponding quantity demanded and noting that there's an inverse relationship. Now, based on that, skipping to slide 10, this this is the one thing, well not the one thing, but one item that causes confusion among students when talking about, when they're first introduced, when they are first introduced to the law of demand and the demand curve and thinking about demand. We have, it's just terminology. We have we we mean something specific when we say change in quantity demanded, and it means something entirely different than 
when we say change in demand. There is a difference between a change in quantity demanded and a change in demand. A change in quantity demanded is movement along the same demand curve. It's caused by one thing and one thing only, a change in price. Go back to slide 7. Going from point A to B to C to D to E, movement down that demand curve is called a change in quantity demanded. It's caused by one thing, a change in the price of videos. Because by definition, everything else that affects demand, like income, number of consumers, price of movies, going to the movie uh, theater, all that is held constant. Now go back to slide 10. If, if these other things that we hold constant when we draw a demand curve change, that will cause the entire curve to shift. And we have a name for that. That's called a change in demand. I had to get a drink of water. I'm sorry. I'm getting all worked up over this. So there's a change in quantity demanded versus a change in demand. It's easy to remember. Just remember, a change in quantity demanded is caused by only one thing, a change in the price. A change in quantity demanded is represented by a movement up and down a demand curve, as opposed to a change in demand, which can be caused by lots of things. In fact, what are the things that can cause a change in demand? Well, go all the way back to slide 5. The determinants of demand. Our slide 5 says the determinants of demand are factors other than price that influence demand. And if these change, they shift the demand curve. They cause a change in demand. What are they? Income, tastes, prices of related goods, expectations, and number of buyers. And you need to make a list of those on a cheat card and, and memorize it. Put it on your fridge. Entitle it, Causes of Changes in Demand. And in fact, Fortunately, uh, we have a list on slide 12. Well, first, just notice on slide 11, it just shows us the, graphically a change in demand represented by a shift of the curve in the left-hand panel versus a change in quantity demanded, which is a movement of the curve, uh, movement along a curve in the right-hand panel. But slide 12, slide 12 is the cheat sheet you need to make on a little index card and just memorize these things. So this, these things show up on quizzes and exams and cause some problems. Here are the factors that shift demand. Or, other words, or in other words, cause a change in demand. A change in consumer incomes. If we're all, for most goods, if people have more income, they'll buy more of that good. And for those goods, we call them normal goods. But there are some things for which when your income rises, you'll buy less. I don't know, can you think of a good? I always ask this in class, and students always respond with Ramon, is it Ramon, ramen noodles, I think, ramen noodles. Uh, I say, well, as soon as I can afford it, I'm not eating any more ramen noodles. Ramen noodles may be what we call an inferior good, that is when incomes rise, demand decreases. Uh, second item, change in number of buyers. If there are more, and there's a lot of intuition here, folks. If there's an increase in number of buyers, for most goods, there will be an increase in demand. In fact, for all goods. Change in price of related goods. For each good, there are, for almost any good, there are substitutes. Think of Coke. Now, I like to drink Diet Coke. But there's also Diet Pepsi. Sometimes I'll drink Diet Pepsi. I don't like it as well as Diet Coke, but I'll drink Diet Pepsi. 
if Diet Pepsi becomes much, much cheaper than Diet Coke, if I go to a to a grocery store and Diet Pepsi's on sale and half the price of Diet Coke, well, that'll affect my demand for Diet Coke. I'll buy the Diet Pepsi because I'm cheap. So if there are substitute goods and the price of one good, in this instance, Coke and Pepsi would be substitutes, if there's a change in the price of one, it'll affect the demand for the other. Also, it's true of complement goods. <laughs> complement goods are... Uh, goods that are used together, not substitutes, but together, like uh, McDonald's hamburgers and McDonald's fries. You always eat those together. I don't know, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But if there's a sale on McDonald's hamburgers, you could expect people to be in there buying more hamburgers, and consequently they would buy more fries. There would be an increase in the demand for fries. Change in expectations, that's an interesting one. Uh, if people think the price of a good's going to go up, what will they do now? If you think the price of gasoline's going to double, what will you do now? Will you go out and fill your tank up? Probably. Uh, so if you think the price of a good is going to go up in the future, you'll increase your demand currently. Or if you think the price of a good will fall, you'll decrease your demand currently. There can also be demographic changes. If there's a, if there's a baby boom, we have more diapers. If there's an increase in the elderly population, maybe there's a an increase in demand for... Uh, dare I say it? Well, maybe I won't say it. Certain pharmaceuticals that that uh, affect uh, one's life. <laughs> Shouldn't even have said that. Uh, or maybe an increase in demand for uh, uh, nursing home ser nursing home care. I, I don't know. I think you'll get the idea. And just a, this last factor that shifts demand, or this last determinant of demand, a change in consumer taste, that's kind of a catch-all. If it's announced that maybe Diet Pepsi causes uh, some health problem, you could think that people would, their tastes would turn away from Pepsi and they'd buy less Pepsi. So that's an important list there of the determinants or of demand, or in other words, the factors that shift demand. Now I think, uh, well, I don't say maybe I'd stop here and we'd, we'd split this lecture into two, but maybe we'll we'll keep going. Let's go to the other side of the market, and it's analogous because we have the same kind of we can go a little faster. We have the same issues. Start with slide 14. It's law of supply. Rather, it's it's, it's like unto the law of demand, but here we have a positive relationship between the price of a good and the quantity of that good that'll be supplied. And here, in a little, in the small print on slide 14, it gives us the reason. Uh, the supply curve reflects costs, and consequently, the height of the supply curve, if you think about it, shows the minimum. It, since it shows cost, it also shows the minimum price necessary to induce producers to supply the next unit. You won't produce it when the price is less than your cost. So the, the, your cost is like the. If you think, if you compare marginal cost to marginal revenue. Uh, making decisions on the margin, as we know suppliers will. This, the the price of the good has to equal at least the cost of the good to the producer to induce them to supply it. Well, in a world of increasing marginal cost, uh, the cost will go up, so the price will go have to go up to induce suppliers to provide more. And since uh, if we go to slide 16, we see this. 
point e point e tells us the minimum price the suppliers producers will supply videos anything below that and, and it's just below cost any cost at point e some producers can produce videos and sell them at point e because it at least equals their minimum cost in a world of increasing opportunity cost if we're going to produce more of them the price has to go up and so we get this upward positive relationship between the price of a good on the horizontal excuse me on the vertical axis and the quantity supplied and I use that term again with purpose the quantity supplied on the vertical I got that all goofed up we see a positive relationship between the price of the good on the vertical axis and the quantity supplied on the horizontal axis and remember the reason we have this upward slope is because the supply curve reflects increasing opportunity costs and we have the same issues go into slide 19 again I'm skipping some of this to make this a, a downloadable uh, a reasonably downloadable audio file 19 notes that again we have this distinction between a change in quantity demanded a change in quantity supplied in this instance we're talking about supply Tyler remember wake up we're talking about supply a change in quantity supplied which is caused by you should guess this only one thing and that is a change in the price of the good if we go back to slide 16 movement from E to D to C to B that's a change in quantity supplied caused by a change in price now there are other things that affect this decision of firms to supply a good we're holding all those things constant when we draw a demand curve this demand curve in slide 16 is the shows the quantity supplied at various prices ceteris paribus everything else remain the same if those other factors that affect supply change the supply curve changes we have a change in supply that's what it tells us back to slide 19 a change in supply which can be caused by lots of things is represented as a shift in the entire supply curve you see here in the small print results from a change in the in a ceteris that's what that means there's set pair a ceteris paribus variable ceteris paribus means things that are held constant well what are these so-called things before we get to them notice slide 20 just illustrates the distinction between a change in supply which is caused by a change in one of the other factors that affect supply other than price a change in quantity supplied is caused by a change in price represented by movement up and down the curve well the key what we have to get to is slide 21 because this is what you need to make another put that on the back side of your little index card your cheat sheet uh, I shouldn't call it a cheat sheet because you're not going to use this for any exams but it's a it's a study guy a study sheet factors that shift supply we have five of them you can remember you can think of those there's there's some some intuition to them. Remembering that the supply curve reflects costs, and shows us therefore the minimum price at which any uh, at which a given level of supply it would take for a given level uh, uh, producer. To, eh, let me back up. The supply curve reflects costs, and therefore it shows or illustrates the minimum price at which a given quantity would be supplied. It would, 
it would take to induce suppliers to provide a given quantity. If costs change, that's going to shift the supply curve up or down. Or I like to think of it actually left or right. A change in resource prices, that would make a good more expensive to produce. If Well, if prices went up, if resource prices went up, that would make a good more expensive to produce. Wouldn't it take a higher price for any given level of production to induce producers to produce that product? So an increase in resource prices would shift the supply curve up or to the left. A decrease in resource prices would shift the supply curve down or to the right. And I, I, I students, will, you'll find it easier if you think of an increase in supply as a rightward shift and a decrease in supply as a leftward shift. Uh, uh, students who, who, get, who, who think in terms of up and down sometimes get confused because an increase in supply is represented by a rightward shift. And for whatever reason, students think an increase in supply, the supply curve sh sh should shift up, increase up. They draw a connection between increase and movement upward. You're wrong. An increase in supply is a shift right, which if you draw it out, that's really a shift in the supply curve down. But just think think right or left in terms of shifting the supply curve. Don't think up and down. A change in technology. If there's an increase in technology that allows the good to be produced less expensively, that would be an increase in supply, my intuition tells me, which is a shift right. Expectations of producers, same idea. If producers expect there to be an increase in the price in the future, they'll want to wait until the price is higher to sell their product. So I'll decrease current supply. Number of producers, more producers, increase in supply, shift right. Less producers, decrease in supply, shift left. Prices of related goods. Some producers, think of a corn farmer. A corn farmer can grow corn or soybeans. The corn farmer decides to... Uh, if, the corn, if he's growing soybeans and corn prices go up, he'll switch out of soybeans into corn. So that'd be a decrease in the supply of soybeans. Well, an important list. And we just, again, illustrate a change in supply in, in graph 22. And there are some examples in the book. And by the way, I would work... Uh, uh, there's some questions in the back of each chapter. You may have noticed I've posted the answers to the questions in the back of each chapter to to WebCT. You, you, you may want to work some of those. This is one... And you'll, uh, you have access to Edge of Space and those quizzes on Edge of Space, you have access to the home page of the text, which has some additional practice quizzes. You ought to be able to force you ought to be forcing yourself to answer lots of questions with respect to supply and demand. Well, let's put this both sides of the market together now. And talk about the concept of equilibrium. Let's just go right to slide twenty-six where we, we're still in our video market we've been using. We have a demand curve, downward sloping. We have an upward sloping supply curve. And we see that there's only one price that equilibrates the quantity supplied and the quantity demanded. And you tell me, what is that price? I'll give you 10 seconds. I'll give you 2 seconds. It's 3 bucks. That's the concept at equilibrium. There, at that price, $3, there's no natural tendency for the price to rise or to fall. The supply and demand are in equilibrium. If, on the other hand, the price were $4, at that price you have quantity supplied of 84 uh, 
videos. The quantity supplied is 84. The quantity demanded at that price is only 48. You have a, a surplus. Whenever there's a surplus of a product, there's a natural tendency for the price to fall. So if the price is above the equilibrium, the price has a natural tendency to fall. And in the same vein, if you're below the equilibrium price, say down there at two bucks, demand quantity demanded exceeds quantity supplied, there's a shortage. If there's a shortage of a product, there's a natural tendency for the price to rise. So any price other than the equilibrium price is not a stable. There are forces causing it to change only at the equilibrium price. Are there? Is it stable? Now, supply and demand can shift. Supply and demand can change and cause the price to change, but until they do, we're at an equilibrium of $3. Now, let's see what happens if there's a shift. I'm going to slide 27. If incomes fall, for example, causing a decrease in demand, see that's how this, that's how you have to hurry and remember. Well, income is one of the factors that shift demand. There's a de decrease in demand. Income falls, decrease in demand. The new equilibrium price is $2.50. So a decrease in demand would cause the price to fall, which is intuitive. While you're still looking at 27, think what would happen if there's an increase in demand. The new equilibrium would be higher. In slide 28, we see the effect of a decrease in supply. Your intuition would tell you a decrease in supply would cause an increase in the price. Less supply, you'd think it would be an increase in the price. We, we, the graph, or, uh, uh, slide 22, excuse me, slide 28 could be an illustration of the effect on the oil and gas market of the Katrina. Decrease in the supply of oil causing an increase in the price of oil. Decrease in supply causes an increase in price. Now you could also look at slide 28 and just imagine what would happen if there was an increase in supply. The price would fall. The supply shifted to the right. Increase in supply would cause a price to fall. And uh, we want to finish with the notion of so price floors and price ceilings. Every once in a while, governments get it in their head that markets are not a particularly efficient way of allocating scarce resources or scarce goods. Now we'll discover in a later chapter here that markets are a very good mechanism. There's some very nice characteristics of allowing, uh, of excuse me, of equilibrium prices and the corresponding equilibrium quantities. We'll demonstrate that markets are a desirable means or mechanism of allocating goods and services. But sometimes we, uh, as a society, we, we decide, eh, we don't want government to allocate for example, babies for adoption. We don't we don't allow babies to be bought and sold. An economist would say, why not? That would get babies to the people who who are willing who value them the highest and are willing to pay the highest price. What's wrong with that? Or we don't allocate livers using the market system. An economist may ask, why not? How do we allocate livers? Well, we have some complicated system based on. Uh, Doctor's advice. I, I don't. I don't. I frankly don't know. I mean, I, it's a complicated medically medical decision-driven system that allocates livers. An economist may uh, uh, propose: Why not just allow prices to allocate livers, markets, and prices? Let the let there be an auction on eBay. So let somebody post their liver or their or their or their uh, relative's liver, who may have met with a bad accident. You see that on eBay now. One good liver. Uh, young, I don't. Anyway, it's kind of maybe, maybe the reason we don't because it 
does it does seem a little morbid. But I want you to just think about the fact that sometimes governments get in the way. Yeah, and it's not just livers and babies we don't allow in markets. For farmers, society, we often feel sorry for farmers. Now I do a little farming on the side. And I like to be felt sorry for. Uh, so the government comes in and sets price floors. That is, the equilibrium price can't go below, not the equilibrium, the actual price can't go below some artificially determined price, a price floor. It's, keep the, it's to keep the prices from falling. And other times, governments will come in and keep, in order to keep prices going too high, they'll set a ceiling. The, the actual price can't go above the ceiling. And we see examples of this on slide 30. We see a price floor. Maybe it's for, uh, yeah, here it's an ag product, sugar. Government wants to artificially support the price of sugar at 20 cents, where the equilibrium would be 10 cents. Well, what's the effect of a price floor? Well, it's a, it's a surplus. Price floors create surpluses. In slide 31, we see the effect of a price ceiling in the form of rent control. The actual price can't go above the ceiling. It starts going up to $1,500 a month for, a rent, for an apartment, and it can't go any higher because of a legally mandated price ceiling. Price ceilings create what? Well, shortages. Why do we do it? Well, sometimes we make social decisions. We think there's a reason that markets uh, and market-determined prices aren't socially desirable, and so we we impose some artificial price. But recognize that these artificially determined prices, whether they be price floors or price ceilings, will create other problems like surpluses or shortages. Well, I think uh, we'll bring that to an end. Uh, what I want to encourage you to do, and I can't overemphasize this, is to spend time solving problems, not just the online quiz that counts on WebCT, but go to the text homepage and take those quizzes associated with Chapter 3. Use Agile Space. Work the questions in the back of the book, uh, for which you now have the answers posted to WebCT. I think you'll, uh, uh, you'll find it to your advantage to solve as many problems as you can with using the supply and demand model.